Krakoja. 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 Yes, Krakoja. Yeah, yours is better. You're gonna need a bigger potion. Snakes. Why do they have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome to Spielberg Chronologically. This is a podcast where we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order. Happy New Year to you, Eric. Yes. Krakosh. Krakosh. Yes. <laughs> you have to do the thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's Eric. My Happy New Year Jeff. to you, too. Happy New Year to you, too. 2023 is going to be a good year. I can feel it in my bones. Uh, so we are now in the, we are like six months away, my friend, from finishing our Spielberg watch through. Is that all six months? Our last episode will be on June 8th. Nice. And nice. so we will then get into our next director and, and keep going. We're, we're not done, but, um, we do need to discuss the name change at some point, uh, to something a little more permanent. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like Spielberg chronologically is uh, a great name while we do Spielberg, just like Hitchcock chronologically was it. But if we keep changing the name, people right. are people are going to lose us. So uh, yeah, well, I, I agree. We're going to have to we're going to have to settle on something a little more. Uh, and Hitchcock was meant to be a one off. Like it was just my own little project that I wanted to do to to actually finish something, you know? Like, I started it with just the intention of finishing it and never doing it again, and yet... Here we you are. Know, yeah. We got together. We said, hey, we got something here. Let's keep going. And so we're in Spielberg. So, uh, well, at some point, this will still be the main feed. At some point, we are going to have to change the name to something a little more permanent, and then I just think we'll just call the seasons... You know, Spike Lee chronologically, Wes Craven chronologically, that sort of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes but sense. But as for now, we watched Terminal uh, from the year it came out because I didn't have the IMDb page pulled up. 2004. It came out in 2004. Uh, starring Tom Hanks and um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who I just watched in the TV show uh, Wednesday? Wednesday. How was that yeah. Wednesday? It side, is side okay. It, the cast is fantastic. The story kind of falls apart in the second half of the series. Okay. Um, but I still enjoyed it. Also, uh, Zoe Saldana is in this. Um, Hell of a cast on this movie. Like, really, really, like, really good. Like, Stanley Tucci, Sheen McBride, uh, Diego Kumar Luna. Palana. Uh It took me a second with Diego Luna. Uh, but he's Andor. He's Cassie and Andor in the Andor show on. Yeah, you don't watch Star Wars, but I on don't Disney Plus, <laughs> yeah, he's he's the lead in the new Star Wars project, uh, which is uh, fun to see. So yeah, like lots and lots of people in this movie. Yeah, Chief McBride, I know from the show Pushing Daisies. Did yes! you ever watch that show? Yes! Fantastic oh, show, wonderful show. It really, just really gone good. too soon. Two seasons and it was over, but it's it's worth every. It's just worth watching, and he's great in it. Um, so this is uh, loosely based on a true story about a, a guy who's caught in a terminal for several years. Um, this gentleman recently passed away as of this recording, the, the person who this is based on. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so who, it was based on a uh, an Iranian gentleman who was caught in a uh, an airport in Paris due to a very similar situation. Um, he he couldn't get into England uh, because he had a passport problems and, and his United Nations refugee certificate had been stolen. Uh, so the French authorities wouldn't leave, let him leave and go into Paris. Um, so he couldn't return to his own country. Um, yeah. So like, like basically his passport was stolen along with his refugee status. Um, so he couldn't go back. He couldn't go forward. And so he was just in this airport. Um, and it says that he was in the airport from 1988 until 2006, at which point he had to like leave to go to the hospital. He had an illness when he got back out of the hospital. He returned to the airport and uh, on and off remained there just as a as a unhoused person, shall we say, um, until his death, uh, which was like the day after I watched this movie. Like, like he right. Just, he just passed away uh, less than two or three weeks ago at the time of this recording. It was quite timely. And I, I didn't realize like how much of that was voluntary because our character is very much not of his own free will stuck in this terminal um, for most of the movie. So uh, what's your history with this? Obviously, I, I think you've seen this before today or before this week. I have. I, I saw it once before. Um, this one, I don't think I made it to the theater to see. I probably caught this on DVD. I probably rented it um, or pulled it out of the library at some point. And watched it and uh, enjoyed it well enough, I would say, but not well enough to like keep returning to it. I kind of felt at the time like it was uh, both like minor Steven Spielberg and minor Tom Hanks, you know, like like essentially, uh, you know, like good enough from both of them, but not in the top tiers enough for me to circle back around to it ever again. You know? Yeah, I uh, I think I have a similar thing. I saw it. Shortly after it came out, probably on DVD, rented it from Movie Gallery or Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, one of those, um, and watched it and really enjoyed it. I think uh, when I saw it the first time, it was enjoyable and never watched it again. Yeah, same. Like, I didn't hate it. You know, like, it, it was it was good. Like, it's a good movie. It's, it, and uh, I, think, I think I kind of felt that way about it again. You know, like it's a good movie. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever gonna circle around to it again. I did have uh, more problems with some of the storylines this time, okay. uh, and the thinking about it more analytically. You know, I, I kind of was like, that doesn't really work, and oh, that doesn't really work, and so on. Um, but in the end, you know, it's an agreeable movie. It's a happy movie. It's a positive movie. Um, it's a little bittersweet at times. Uh, isn't that nice after watching AI? Yeah. <laughs> little everything turns out okay. Yeah, this know? is like this is like the hope <laughs> the hope pill that that's like he, he's stuck in a terminal much like the lead in AI is stuck in the helicopter, but he's at least got people around and he befriends pretty much all of the airport, you know, and by the end of the movie everyone's backing him up. Yeah, he's got you some know? he's got some company at least yeah. outside I, of the dead teddy. After rewatching this, I really, I th- I think I enjoyed it more this time than the first time. Whereas before, I thought it was fun, and this time I'm like, 
this character is so likable. Like that we started off doing the Krakosia, you know, and I think that that it's it's kind of sad that it's not as iconic of a thing to be like I uh, people going around just giving the thumbs up Krakosia, right? <laughs> right, like the Borat, very nice. Like he yeah. loves his country, Krakosia. He's just likable, and of course, it's Tom Hanks, and he's a little more doughy version of Tom Hanks. Um, which is my favorite kind. And he just, I wanted to hug him. He's like the nicest guy. I like the whole arc with him and Zeta Jones. I like his friends that he makes along the way. Um, I like the way he gets through, you know, the the way he has to deal with Stanley. Is it Stanley Tucci? Who is this? Yeah, it's Stanley Tucci. Yeah, yeah. deal with uh, Stanley Tucci's baloney and... Um, I had fun with this one this week. I, I really enjoyed watching it. It's a fun... I, I think it's just one of those movies that you just put on and it's like, ah, like no stress, just enjoy the movie. And, you know, I I thoroughly enjoyed it this week. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what this movie does really well is the way that it imparts the idea that you can't judge somebody's intelligence and cleverness just by the fact that they don't speak the same language as you, right? Yeah. Like, like this guy is clever and wily and and uh, smart enough to understand when he might be being railroaded, even though even before he gains uh, uh, the ability to speak English fairly fluently uh he still has like you know like certain moments where his hackles go up and he's kind of like oh no 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 wait a minute you you might be trying to get me you know specifically so tucci's trying to like so of course the story is he's stuck in this airport and tucci's really just trying to get him off of his plate and so he's like we're gonna turn the guards away and you can just leave, right? You can go and do what you need to do. But his plan is to call the authorities, and now he's no longer Tucci's problem. And this, and like you said, he doesn't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. As he's looking to wait out, he sees the camera following him. Then he hides underneath it, and then peeks up in the camera and he goes, "I'll wait." Yeah. I wait. Yeah, he listens he listens to his inner voice, right? Like like he knows, yeah. And and uh he figures out a lot of things before he learns how to speak English. He figures out the thing with the carts and the quarters that if he returns these luggage carts, he'll get a quarter for each one so he can keep eating. Uh he figures out other ways to get food. I mean, the the cracker, mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup sandwiches he makes are gross, but But it's, it's like someone knocks it out of his hands and he's kind of like bummed. He's like, yeah. "Oh." <laughs> It's oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> he he uh he survives right yeah like he, he figures out how to survive and as the movie kind of unfolds and develops you learn like oh he has a lot of skills that he can draw on you know like like just because he comes over and he seems a little i don't know bumpkin-y because he doesn't speak english and he's kind of cute with the uh well he's a simple man like and not in intelligence but in like his lifestyle is very simple. He's a carpenter of some kind or some sort of contractor by trade, or at least that's what I'm guessing based on what he does in the film. And so he lives a pretty simple life uh, that by no means, I, I would consider him more of a street smart type of guy. Like there's to me, street smart and book smart. And I've always considered myself to be a street smart person. I may not be able to math out a thing or science something, but when it comes down to it, if we're in a situation 
I'm going to find a way to deal with it because I, I feel like I'm street smart. And I think that's this character. He's really just street smart. He's going to figure it out. And I think it comes from being in this maybe not third world country, but certainly a second world country that is doesn't have a lot of money. You know, the, the nation is maybe a little poorer than other nations and he has to work a little harder than everyone else to make things work. Yeah, like I, I Krakosia is obviously not a real country. Um, I, oh I, no, but Krakosia. I, I felt like uh, like maybe he, he was uh, like a Kazakhstan or Bulgaria, like a former Soviet Republic sort yeah. of place, you know, uh, that he comes from. And uh, I, another interesting through line uh, of the movie is how patriotic he is. You know, like. He, he is not about to say, oh, I'm afraid to go back to Krakosia. He's not I about that scene. to, to uh, you know, kind of turn his back on his homeland. You know, he's paying very close attention to what's going on there as best he can, you know, through the news feed and so on. And, and uh, you know, shows a, a, a level of concern. Like when he does have the ability to maybe become an immigrant, you know, to the United States, he's like, no. That's not what I'm here for. Like, no. Guess, yeah, that's I think home. It, I want to go back home, you know? And uh, th- I thought that I, was pretty cool. I think there's that wiliness there, too, because I, I was wondering, like, why not just say this, go do what you have to do and come home? But I think his asylum maybe would prevent him from going back, you know, like to Krakosia. Yeah. But I love that scene where he's like, all you have to do is say you're afraid. He's like, I'm not afraid of Krakosia. He's home. He's home, you know, and I, he just is the best. He's the best guy. Yeah, he's, it is a really cool character. Uh, another thing that this movie captures really well is what it's like to be in a country when you don't speak the language that well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever traveled abroad? No. Okay. No. I, I've never been out of the States. I do not have a passport. So the closest I've been is Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when I was in high school and again, when I was in college, I was an exchange student to Russia. Right. And, and this I'm old. So the first time I went, it was actually still the Soviet Union. And, yeah. And uh, it was a it was a pretty big deal, this exchange, because it was part of. Uh, glasnost and perestroika and the softening of relations between the two countries and da 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 so but anyhow so uh i had had at that point three years of high school russian i was a solid d student in my russian class like i was barely scraping by enough to get to the next year so my language skills were not particularly no wonder your crocosia is better than mine yeah that's why (laughs) okay (laughs) uh so Anyhow, I uh, I went with this group. There were 15 students, and we went and we stayed uh, a couple days in Moscow. But then we our main trip that first time was to Volgograd, which uh, was the renamed city of Stalingrad, the, the big hero city of World War II, where the Russians fought off the Nazis in this crazy standoff. And, you know, a zillion people died. And they were out there with, like, pitchforks fighting the Nazis. Okay, so anyhow, we're there. I don't speak Russian very well. Uh, they don't necessarily speak English very well. The guy that I stayed with spoke better English than I spoke Russian. But Mm -hmm. uh, until you go into that situation, you don't really realize not just the language barrier, but like 
the culture barrier. Like things in other countries are different. Like my wife just went, my wife just went to the UK and struggled, yeah. struggled with the London underground. She's like, how the hell does this work? Like everybody's just running through doing what they do because they all know how it works. And like, I didn't like, I'm a foreigner. Like, I don't know how this works. And even though she spoke the language. So when I was in Russia that first time, uh, the thing, the thing is, is that in a lot of European countries, which no one told us about and we did not know, there are no toilets in the bathroom. There are that no- seems like that seems weird. Wouldn't that be where they go? No, I mean- it's not where they go. And of course you think like that's where they go. Right. So the first time, like I was getting ready for school the first day I was there and they sent me into the bathroom and there was a bathtub and a sink and a bidet and i was like well what is this like i can't i can't you can't do it too i can't i can't can't. like i can't you can do a one and so i didn't i didn't know what to do and so i just didn't like i just didn't and i didn't go to the bathroom and the next day where are the toilets in russia and the next day and the next day and so like in the school i thought well i'll just go to the bathroom at the school right but the bathrooms at the school are literally three holes in the ground, right? There are literal holes in the oh, they're ground. Oh, squatty potties. They're squatty potties with two handles on each side, and the bathroom is full. Like, in between classes, the bathroom's full of, like, 40 kids smoking cigarettes in there and talking. Every time. Every time, right? So that's not a viable option either, right? And so, like, maybe after five or there Are there partitions? So or is he, it just everybody no, no, squatting no, around no. holes? It is, it is an open room with these holes oh, awesome. and, and a million kids smoking cigarettes. You need right? to have that life experience there. I'm disappointed that you didn't take advantage of it. <laughs> so, so around day four or five or six, one of the kids, like we had this meeting room every morning where the Americans would go for 15 minutes just to touch base and see how everybody was doing. And finally, one of the kids raised their hand and said, I haven't gone to the bathroom since I've been here. And the teacher <laughs> flipped out like she was like what are you talking like you haven't even peed since you've been here and the girl was like no and she's like you're going to die like you have to go to the bathroom and she looked around she was like how many how many of the rest of you haven't gone to the bathroom since you've been here and like eight out of the 15 kids raised their hands like none of us or at least half of us hadn't gone to the bathroom turns out that in russia in most situations the toilet has its own room it's the toilet room, and it's just just little cubby hole with a light bulb and a toilet, like a and hotel. That's, and that's all that's in there, right? And the bathroom is separate from the toilet. And the idea for them of having the toilet in the bathroom is like gross. They're like, "What? That's where you get clean. Why would you get clean where you poop? Like that's disgusting." I mean, they're not wrong. And so the teacher sent us out to use the restroom. And that night when I got home, the guy I was staying with, like, basically grabbed me by my shirt and dragged me through the apartment and opened the door and was like, it is here. Here it is. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. I get it. But it's things like that. Like, like, when you go to a new country, like, culturally, things are different. And you don't realize how different until you're in that situation. And I could tell like a million stories like that of weird things where I made strange assumptions. You know, I popped the thermometer in my mouth and watched them all like, like gasp in horror. It's a, butt, a butt thing. Yeah. <laughs> they put it sick. in their butts. Yeah. <laughs> They're all like, no, no. 
<laughs> you know, I made I, at one point I made the okay sign, you know, like the the, yeah. the figure, and they were all like horribly offended because it's an obscene gesture, you know, like there's all sorts of little like nuances culturally. And so like, I thought that this movie did a really good job of just showing how bewildered somebody would be and how other people might assume that they're kind of like stupid, right? Because yeah. they don't know. But like it is a bewildering thing to move into another culture and try to figure stuff out. Right. Like, how does the money work? What are these coins? Like, how much is this worth? You know, like you just have no point of reference and all that stuff. And so, you know, like I really, I really felt for for Victor, you know, and, and it, it gave me a lot of respect for the character watching him kind of piece things together and, and like figure out more and more how to adapt and survive in this weird environment. Yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> um, I don't have any such story because uh, I'm I don't travel much. Um, so. We have him you know, Tom Hanks and the Catherine Zeta Jones is the love interest. She is. Dating a married man who's played by a guy who looks really familiar, uh, Michael Nori, who, where do I know him from? Man, he's in stuff. He's in a lot of he stuff. He plays a villain. He's in Flashdance, got is mixed not up. where I know him from. I got him mixed up with Prince Humperdinck from uh, Princess Bride, but my wife was no, like, no, I know no. that's Sarandon. It's not, it's not Humperdinck. Yeah, that's Chris Sarandon. Um, so this guy is like, he's in stuff. He's in Hacks right now. Um which is a, a great TV show on HBO Max. Uh, he's in. He's just in like a lot of things. This is a guy is super familiar. I, I think he's one of those guys too. Where he, I feel like there's something specific I know him from, and I'm thumbing through his filmography. I'll find it. Um, but again, it, it might be one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I, he's just in everything a little bit. He's in a little bit of everything. Um, but so she's dating him, but she goes through the airport a lot because she is a flight attendant and um they spark up how do they get introduced again is it the slipping she slips and she breaks her heel and uh, oh right 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 and then he's like no no you know and and eventually as he learns more english he's able to engage with her more uh to the point where they strike up what i would call a friendship um i don't i don't buy the romance in this movie like at all um but like maybe he has romantic intentions i'm not sure if she ever sincerely does other than looking at him as a possible way out of her her current situation but uh yeah i i got a lot of problems i got a lot of problems with Catherine zeta jones in this movie okay what are your problems um she is not appealing she is selfish. She is self-destructive. Um, I, she keeps I, making terrible choices. She openly says, stay away from me all yeah, the time, so I, which to feels me, that like a sort of like dramatic person that I just want to punch in the throat. Like, uh, I don't like her. I do not like this character. Okay. I do think that she is aware of her destructive tendencies. Then fix them. Do the work. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, like I got, I got no, I've got no. Says the guy who is uh, on many times of this podcast says he's very empathetic. He just feels things for people, but not this one. No, no I don't know. Like I, I just, ah, uh, like uh, there's no concern given over for this guy's wife. 
you know, the guy that she's dating who is married. Yeah. She, she doesn't give a shit about that. In the end, she doesn't necessarily, like, give a shit about Victor's feelings. She does come through for him in the end and, given like, works with the married guy to get him a day pass so he can go accomplish his mission in New York. But, uh, you know, like, it 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 turned it, as nothing. Like, the, the relationship is nothing. It's a lot of gestures on Victor's part that are not reciprocated by her because she's so caught up with her own bullcrap and her head is up her ass. Like, she is she is the ultimate, like, person in your life whose head is so far up their ass that they don't have time to even notice what's going on with you. And that's it. Like, for the most part, for most of the movie, she doesn't even notice what's going on with him. Even when he flagrantly tries to tell her, she's just so, oh, oh, oh me and my yeah, married man, like, watch so out for me, I have all these she problems. She finds yeah. out from Tucci that he is stuck here, and she finally gets to the truth. She's mad at him, but I feel like yeah, she's he was never deceptive him. at any point. No, yeah, she gets mad at him, and it's like, what <laughs> is your problem? Like, it's one of those Indiana Jones, uh, Kate Capshaw moments where they, like, she gets mad for no reason, and it's like, what the hell? Like, why are you angry? Like, don't you have any empathy for this situation? And, like, if you look back over your conversations, you will clearly be able to tell that he has told you what's going on and you were just an asshole and ignored it. You yeah, know? Like, that's fair. I, I, I do not like her. I don't feel like she even really needs to be in this movie. I almost feel like it's a stronger movie without her presence. She brings nothing to the table other than a half-hearted romance, a half-hearted one-sided and she romance. Napoleon. Puke, blah, puke. So I, okay, one of the things that I don't know why it always stuck in my mind from this movie is the borders when they're in the borders buying books. I just, I, there's something about buying a book going on a plane that I just find so cozy and I just like, and um, I really, I don't liked, know why. I like seeing the airport from the 2000s. The this is 2000s. a cool airport. I don't think it. I don't think an airport in the 2000s looked like this. It is. Like, this it is, is nice airport. It is really cool. And I liked looking at it. Like, I was like, oh, the Baja Fresh. Is there still Baja Fresh? And my wife was like, yeah, there's one in the Vegas airport. But <laughs> yeah, like I liked seeing like kind of the older brands and, you know, like, like, yeah, I thought it was, it was I cool. miss Borders. I think that's more what it was. I think Borders was around when the movie came out still. But since then, Borders has gone out of business, and that was me and my wife when we were dating. That was always our go-to hangout spot. Like we would just say after you know we had our dinner and what we were going to do. Hey, you want to just go to Borders and look at books because we both like books, and you know. And I think that's part of it. I just ah, it's so we do have a couple. I, I, we got a Barnes and Noble hanging in there here in Columbus. And we then we've got have a, few... a books a million. Yeah, we got a couple really cool, like, one-off bookstores. There's this store here called the Book Loft, and it's got, like, 40 or 50 rooms, and they're all, like, categorized. You know, you can go into the science fiction room, and you can go into mm -hmm. the World War II history room, you know, and that's really neat. But, yeah, for the most part, I think most bookstores have been Amazoned to death. So yeah, I still wish we had our Barnes & Noble. It was my favorite. Yeah, but we got a nice alas. one still. Um, God knows how long it's going to be there, though. I'm sure it's just hanging on by its fingernails. I think they've bounced back a bit. I don't think it's as uh, dire as it, it was sort of in that era when Borders did die, especially because there is so much less competition. Like, if you want a book in our town, 
we do have an indie bookstore or you go to books a million and you know it's so weird because like i like books too and i buy books and i hardly ever read them because i'm always reading my kindle so (laughs) well (laughs) part of the problem I, I am too because I just find it so much more comfortable to read. Like I I'm a side sleeper and so I read on my side and holding a book while laying on your side is tough, but your Kindle's a lot easier and it's I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I also uh, miss having the bookstores, but yeah. Yeah. So the book, so, the, the airport itself uh in the movie apparently they went on like a search for an airport that would let them film for eight months or whatever the hell. And uh, they were all like, yeah, no way. Go away, Steven Spielberg. So they ended up building it from scratch in like a giant airplane hangar. That's awesome. So, yeah, that it, it looks too cool to exist because it was too cool to <laughs> exist. They designed it themselves and built it. But never for a moment do you catch any like... That that looks like a real place, right? Like It, it doesn't it, feel false. Yeah, it feels super real. Yeah, like when he's pointing outside, that's New York out there. I'm like, yep, that's New York out there. And there's planes in the background through the large open windows, light pouring in. There's And it's filled with people. Like, they do a great job of having it filled with, uh, you know, background players. And just, it's an, it's a living area to me. Like, it just, not to be cliche. But the airport is a character in this film. <laughs> but it kind of is, like, with all the people, uh, you know, like the the poker game where uh, Gupta and Enrique and Mulroy play for lost and found items. And the, the fact that he's got this crush on Zoe Saldana and he uses Victor as a sort of a Roxanne you remember the Steve Martin movie of Roxanne yeah, yeah, yeah. that that uh the conduit with which to talk to her um but it he Tom Hanks is in no way trying to date Zoe Saldana you know and it just even though that feels like that wouldn't work like I mean maybe he'd get a date but he ends up getting married it just feels a bit like okay this is fairy tale land but that's okay I'm happy to live in it because I watched AI um so yeah, it feels I, like a community, I, right? Like yeah. so just through a few characters uh engaging with Victor, they're able to establish that the airport feels like a community. Like there are people there every day who know each other pretty well. It's like, you know, any place that you work, you get to know your coworkers and the people around you. Uh you know, you work in a mall, you get to know the other people that work in the other stores in the mall, you know. Similar similar sort of situation. Um, and then you got your mall dwellers, you know, like people that come in every day. You got your walkers in the morning. You got your regulars and so on and so forth. And like, like shoplifters, the shoplifters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's very, very wearing situation. a big jacket in June. <laughs> Hanging out at Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I did like that. That said, like. The majority of those characters and their arcs I found to be eye-rolling and problematic. Eye-rolling. The biggest eye-roll for me in this film is from Gupta. He, at first, I'm fine with this where he's like, Tom Hanks is trying to bother Gupta while he's, he's like the janitor. And he's like, did you say, did you make an appointment? Almost tried to do the accent. I apologize. Uh, and, you know, he's like, no, I'll come back. And, they, you know, and it's fine. 
but then like it's a reoccurring thing but then as he he's preventing tom hanks from leaving and going home and not fulfilling his mission Gupta runs out on the runway and hits the plane with a mop and then the police show up and he goes do you have an appointment oh god it pained me to watch <laughs> it was so bad it was so bad like for for a likable character yeah because that's was, my only was, problem with the character likeable. And I, I, I liked his backstory of why he was there. You know, he accidentally killed I a guy. I keep my head low. Nobody's, to... nobody's looking at the janitor at the airport, and that's what I want. Right. The, the moment where he decides to make his big sacrifice and run out there to distract so that Tom Hanks can go on his mission, essentially, like, dooming himself to be extradited and tried for murder. <laughs> I was like... Uh, and then the, And then the delivery of the line. Yeah, it all felt, like, real, real false. I'm like, Don't wow. feel bad for me. Do you have an appointment? I made a joke. Don't feel bad for me. This this entire character has been a setup to this one big, really false moment, and I was like, "Oh, they just ruined that whole damn thing." Yep, um, it really hurt to watch. Like you, you were talking about Enrique and Dolores's romance. Like I felt like big pieces of that puzzle were missing, buddy. Like, oh, dude. like we don't even get to see her say yes to the first date. I don't think, right? And then I don't the remember next thing, that. The next thing you know, they're getting married. It was like, right. the entire relationship is, there's this really hot girl who works in customs or wherever it is. And that is it. Like, <laughs> go talk to the really hot girl for me. And that's all we <laughs> ever I'm get. Because I'm a junior high, right? Yeah, and uh, it just... You might as well be passing a note that says, like, do you like me with, like, check marks, yes or no, you know? And then there's a point for me. And I don't know. I, I mean, Diego's a handsome guy, the actor who plays Enrique. I just don't feel like, you know. There's no chemistry there because they're never on screen together. Like, well, yeah. They don't share any scenes other than their wedding, which is half a minute. Like, not even... Uh, I think she has great chemistry with Tom Hanks, not romantic, but they develop a friendship, right, of him coming up every day, getting his red stamp, getting denied every day. He does it all the time, and she's, like, still happy to see him. He's a nice guy. Krakosia, you know, he's a nice guy. Um, so I think that the strength of this film is Tom Hanks' ability to just sort of have relationship with everyone, even, first off, what the fuck is Stanley Tucci's problem? What I don't know is why he's Stanley Tucci's problem. That's one of my questions. I like I have all this stuff listed now. We're of course blasting through the questions. But really, why is he so hostile to somebody who is clearly a victim who's kind of under his purview? Like he could be like caring for this guy and trying to help this guy and trying to make this guy's life easier. You know, and instead he's trying to like trick him into getting arrested. He's trying to like push him out. So he's under somebody else's jurisdiction. He's like manhandling him there by the copy machine. And then when he like he asks him for help and he gets outsmarted, he gets even more furious, you know, and like, it's like, dude, what is your problem? Like, is it just that he's like a bureaucrat on a power trip? You know, like why? I think that's it. Why? He's middle management is the thing is that. Uh, <laughs> So you get in the corporate world where I work, you have, you know, your your 
entry level people and your managers, like the sort of the frontline folks, and they're normal down to earth people. And then you get your executives at the top where their place is secure. They have no reason to be like this way. And then in the middle are the people who think they're better than they are. And that's this guy. He just is so insecure about getting this position he feels is owed to him. And and there's just some level of control he feels he has to have in this situation. Whereas, like, even the guy who's, like, his mentor or who was taking his position beforehand, after this whole thing, there's a guy who's trying to get medicine to his father. And Victor finds a way to say, no, this is for good. It's for good. And, uh, you know, he outsmarts him and the, the, the guy's able to get through and everything. And the... And the former runner of this airport's like, you could learn something from Victor. Not everything is a battle, you know, like you can kind of let certain things slide under the rug, right? You know, make those exceptions. It's not that big a deal. But he's like a stickler for the rules. And he's a stick like he doesn't want his authority question. And if someone does or undermines him in any way, he loses it. Yeah, and there's even a point where Victor's like trying to be nice because he won a, a marlin or a sailfish, and he brings it in. He goes, "He's present. Uh, you don't like fish," <laughs> and then he gets mad and takes off of the. It's a great scene, but yeah, Tucci, he's an asshole. He is an asshole, and only at and the then, very like, end he, does he show a when, moment of humanity. And 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 it doesn't make sense. And like it doesn't it make just, sense. It, um, he goes. So finally, at the end, when Victor gets out of the airport, Stanley Tucci has like a knowing smile. Oh, you won. You beat me. And it's like, all right, everybody back inside. We got work to do. You Like, huh? Like, what? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, yeah, it pained me because he spent so much time being angry and having to win that when he loses, he takes it on the chin and goes, it, it, it doesn't make sense for the character. No, it doesn't make sense for the character. Yeah, like you would expect him just to be standing there, like ripping something into little pieces and kicking the pieces, you know, like. Yeah, like throwing a fit, being pissed off, fires, fires the, the, the chief of the security who lets him through, you know, um, like that guy made sense, right? He's doing his job most of the time. And then here he is, uh, the, the chief of security, Thurman, played by Barry Shabaka Henley, is having to guard the door and he he disobeys in order to let him through because he knows what he's doing wrong is is wrong and it fits for that character because throughout most of the movie that character is warm even though he's just doing his job and doing things that maybe he doesn't necessarily want to do and that works right and i didn't feel that that moment was like false for the character right but when Tucci has his turn, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Tucci is like a pent-up high blood pressure rage ball, right? Like, this guy's a stroke waiting to happen. Like, he's just got, like, all this internalized anger. And, uh, yeah, for him just to kind of, like, flip at the end there doesn't make a lot of sense because it's com- it completely goes against everything that he's done. Like, as much as I hate uh, the Amelia character, at least she's consistent, Right. So like she's consistently yeah, it, thoughtless, like, but like Tucci, if Tucci is like his whole thing is I want this guy out from under me. As soon as the war is over, he can. Tom Hanks is just a guy who can go in or out. He can go home or he can go to New York. Right. Right. He has the form. He 
like Catherine Zeta-Jones makes it where all Tucci has to do is sign a form and he's not his problem anymore. And he chooses not to. Right. Because now, like, and I, I know he's mad about the whole thing about him not being afraid of going back to Krakosia. But Tom Hanks, like Victor, doesn't actually cast any... Like, nobody's looking down on Stanley Tucci because Tom Hanks is in the airport. Right. It's almost like he feels like he's being judged. Like, this is a problem that will reflect badly upon him. But, I mean, like, it's an explainable situation, you know? And and like you said, nobody's looking down on him for it. Like, it's all in his head, you know? Like, yeah. it's all his and own if perception of his own performance. does the work, if he gets on the phone and he can create, like, I work in the corporate world. I know how this stuff works. you got to have your paper trail and show that you've done your work. I've called, I've tried, I've worked with these people, and I can't... So even if someone did question you, you can show you've done the legwork to try to remedy the situation, but it's out of your hands. He just sucks, is what it comes down to. Yeah, he just sucks. Yeah, yeah he sucks at his job. He shouldn't get the promotion. He should probably be fired uh, just because he's... But he gets promoted anyway. <laughs> of course. It's a happy ending. Everybody gets their happy ending. Uh, yeah. Except for Amelia, who just keeps going on with the uh, the married man. I guess it's a happy ending for him. He gets a happy ending. He just keeps getting but the bang, he... like the uh, the attractive flight attendant with no strings attached and no commitment. So we should see happy ending his for that guy. Downfall, like I, <laughs> like <laughs> they, the so the actor that plays of the Michael Nori, and I don't know anything about the guy, but he is just the perfect douchebag. Like you just he comes on the screen, you're like, oh god, look at this guy. Yeah. Ugh. Absolutely. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole reason that Victor Navorsky is making this trip is because he has this coffee can filled with signatures from a jazz group or a jazz ensemble of some kind. Um, and his father had passed, but he had all but one signature from a gentleman who apparently years later is still playing in the same spot. Right. So. I don't how long did they ever say how long Hanks is in he's in there for nine months and that's pretty oh it's only nine months that's okay pretty jazz typical too you know so like these guys are like the jazz I for some breaks. reason had in my mind it was years but in the in the film it's like months yeah like the, okay. the greatest jazz players of all time came together and they took this picture. It's kind of like the million dollar quartet. You familiar with the million dollar quartet? No, it was, it was, but I would say like the dream team. Yeah, yeah. It's the time this time that uh, Elvis Presley, Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis all showed up at Sun Studios. And then they recorded them for like three hours, just like jamming, you know, and you can find yeah. it online and listen to it. It's that sort of thing. It's like the, all these talents kind of came together this one time and they took a picture. And so the dad uh, had been sending off for the signatures for each of these guys so he could have the autograph of everybody in the picture. And then he passed before he got this one last guy. And, you know, like, I think I think it's probably pretty typical in the jazz world for these big name guys to be playing these small little spots, right? Because oh, I like, didn't have a problem with that because I know jazz is a niche thing, it's, you know, it's, especially it's now. It's kind of insular and it's kind of uh, its own little subculture, right? And you can you can probably be a jazz great, but never get rich, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, like it's and, and the people that are into jazz are like really into jazz, you know? Have you and, ever seen another Tom Hanks film? That thing you do. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Where uh, Thomas Everett Scott is into jazz, and that's one of my favorite, like, it made me want to go to a jazz club in that because of his enthusiasm for it, but 
you know, I'd be in there being like, I don't know what the hell's happening. Oh, the but guys yeah. in Whiplash. That's another one. Have you seen Whiplash? I haven't seen Whiplash, oh, no. Man, I'm going to mail you the DVD, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh, but yeah, it's so, so essentially, like the whole movie, of course, you're kind of thinking, oh, that's somebody's ashes in the coffee can. He's coming to spread no. his wife's ashes at Central Park, or he's bringing his dad's ashes to... I don't know, something in New York, you know, some, and then it turns out to be this jazz thing, which is, is sweet and nice. I don't know. I don't know. I like, is, is it enough? Is it enough? When he accomplishes it, like when he's in the airport and he's telling Zeta Jones why he's here and what's in the can, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like, and, and since he can't go back home. It'd be different, I think, if he could go back home as opposed to wait eight months in an airport. Yeah. You know, but since he can't go left or right, it's fine that this is what he's here for and ends up going to get. Right. Yeah. It's not like it, it makes sense for him to make the trip if he could do it in two days and go back and he just gets right. caught. And so, like, it becomes the thing built up in his head. I do wonder why he didn't spend time in the airport writing letters to this guy. <laughs> And saying, hey, I'm stuck in the airport. Right. Can you send me a signature so I can have this thing and go home? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It did lead me to think about how, like, uh, things that are super important to other people either can or cannot become important to you. Right? Like, okay, so... My dad's tools. Let me talk for a second about my dad's tools. Okay. My dad, and this just popped into my head. I hadn't planned on talking about this, but my dad uh, was a millwright, and he he comes from generations of millwrights, and they're like technical uh, construction workers, right? Like they're the ones that go in and build assembly lines in factories. They build the internal parts in nuclear reactors, right? Like very, very technical workers uh my great grandfather followed founded the union my grandfather was president of the union my dad was in the union my uncle was in the union my cousin's in the union i'm the first one not to go into the union right okay so my dad had these tools that he had built up over his career tools and tools and tools and and he had like his dad's tools and he had tools from these different jobs that he had. And, you know, so last year he decided he was going to move down to Florida. He's going to like retire, go live in his trailer in Florida and be there. But he had all these tools. He was like, you got to take my tools. You have yeah. to. The tools stay in the family. Now, me, I'm not a tool guy. I'm the yeah. guy who like hires a plumber. I'm the guy who like takes the car into the shop as opposed to doing my own oil change, right? Like I'm I'm not that guy. And my dad had some ludicrous tools. He had <laughs> wrenches that I could hardly lift. They're like lug nuts on airplanes, like just insane shit, like things that I could not identify, you know? Lots and lots of things. And when he left, he left his house. Like, he just left and moved away. And then I went to Toledo and emptied his house out, you know? And so I was left in this situation where, like, I loaded as many of the tools into my van as I could. And the van was riding real low on the wheels. And Toledo's, like, three or four hours away. And I hit a point where I was like, I can't take any more of these tools. (laughs) And so, like, it's a situation where, like, it's something that means a lot to my dad. 
and and my dad doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'm, I'm not <laughs> ashamed to say, like, I gave some of these tools to the guys that were helping me, like, unload the house. Like, I took everything that looked like it was, like, a, uh, a, a, a you know, passed down you know, yeah. a family keepsake sort of thing and like his, things of historic significance. But some of the stuff I was like, I don't know what this is. I wouldn't even begin to know how to sell it or who to sell it to and so on and so forth. And so like this thing that was very, very important to my dad and he'll never know, like he'll, he'll never know, you know, that I didn't end up with all the tools. I have like 80% of the tools. Right. But like, <laughs> the Tom Hanks thing made me think about that a lot. Like, here's this thing that he took on for his father. He made a really solid effort at it. If he doesn't end up finishing it, he really tried to do it, you know? <laughs> and I don't know. Like, have you ever had anything like that in your life or something that was, like, super important to somebody else but, like, wasn't necessarily your thing and you still tried to, like, do it for their sake even though they would never know? Uh, um... So, I, a couple of things. Uh, my dad loved Rod Stewart, so since he's passed, I love Rod Stewart now. Um, and if I ever listen to Forever Young by Rod Stewart, I will cry. Now, the other thing is, is that I did deliberately, he said, when I die, don't give anything to one of my brothers because they were estranged. And I was like, yeah, yeah, dad. Okay. And then when he passed... I split it evenly between all the brothers, including the one I should that I quote unquote shouldn't have. I just was like, I'm that goes in the garden. Dad, no, you know, whatever. Uh, so I, he didn't really have anything. I can say that I've picked up things like I like to grill now. And that comes from my dad, you know, and it's like the smell of the grills like smells like my dad. But I don't have, he, he was not a collector of things. Uh, there were th things we did, though, you know, camping and uh, fishing and, you know, dad stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't have anything like that that was, like, super important, you know. I do find that, that as I get older, I have more of an understanding for why people do, th you know, like, why Tom Hanks would go through this effort. You know, like, I think when I was younger, maybe I didn't appreciate things as much. Like one time my mother gave me her father's ring and her father passed away right before I was born. And it was yeah. it was very meaningful for her. The ring was actually much too small for me. I don't know why he had tiny lady hands, but it seems like he might have. <laughs> And so, like, it really meant a lot to her. And I, like, in the moment, I was like, this means a lot to me, too. But, like, I misplaced that ring for years. You know, I have re I recently found it. I was like, oh, it's I, I actually still have the ring, you know. But, like, it didn't, I, I didn't care enough about it at that time to, like, keep proper track of it. Whereas now I think I would put it someplace where I wouldn't lose it. You know, like, yeah. like the, the continuity of family and so on. Uh, you know, as you get older, that sort of thing means more to you and you want it, you want your stuff to carry on with your kids and so on. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, if it involved going to another country and hunting down a single human being, <laughs> I don't know if I could pull See, it off, man. <laughs> I don't know. Cause, like, I can't relate to that exactly because my dad was like, son, when I die, torch me and dump me in the woods and that was it that's my dad was just a simple man he's much like 
our friend Victor, my dad lived in the woods in a camper and that was his happy place. And, and when he passed, he had two things to his name, his RV and his car, you know, and that was it. So I, I, my dad was not a collector of things. He just didn't, he was very much just leave me in the woods. I'll be fine. Yeah. So it's hard to relate to that because he just didn't. It doesn't come from that I, place. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he was, he liked working on cars, which I didn't inherit, but my brother did, you know, but I just, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, it also made me think about like, and this is kind of off topic, but the way that your stuff ends up being kind of meaningless over time. Like last year, my, my grandmother passed away. And, and not too long ago, my wife's father passed away as well. And, and they both had very different piles of stuff, but piles of stuff that they had accumulated yeah. over their lifetime. And when my grandmother was alive, she had this beautiful furniture that she had bought like over the course of her lifetime. And she was one of these people that like polished the end tables and polished the dining room table and dusted everything constantly. And her home was like this beautiful showcase for all these things, you know, her possessions. And sure, some of them were outdated, but they still looked like brand new, you know. And when she died, the family was like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? Well, I guess we'll give the dining room table to the housekeeper if she wants it. And I guess we'll donate some to the, you know, the goodwill. And like, we all have our own homes. We'd have our own stuff. We don't necessarily have room for all this stuff. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you feel bad throwing it out, but I, because I've been through this, I've had to clean out a house of someone who's passed. Uh, I had no problem throwing stuff away. <laughs> but again, I was given that permission by my dad. Like, Yeah, well, it really made me feel he, like I got to get rid yeah. of all my stuff. You're like my stuff it, is a burden for the next person, you know? Like I have to like really scale back on how much stuff I've accumulated. Yeah. Oh, way way off topic, but stuff that's yeah, fine. Stuff that you think about as you get older. Um, so I guess that's really our, you know, he gets the autograph and the credits roll. And you know, and that's and that. I, that's that. I I really liked the opening sequence. Again, it had that Bernard Herman sort of catch me if you can thing. Yeah, um, it was cool. I liked the the ticking uh, thing. This is Steven Spielberg film, and it's like the the thing that says delayed or on time. And you know, I really enjoyed that opening. And I, I despite our problems with Stanley Tucci's character and Amelia, which I didn't have a big problem with her. I really enjoyed watching this, and I think it's Tom Hanks just being the most likable guy ever. Absolutely, yeah. I, and I you're still... rooting for him from day from the moment he gets on screen. You're like, Krakosha! yeah. I, I still put this on the positive end of the Spielberg movies. Yeah, like I, I, I like it. Like it's it's a pleasant movie to watch, and and. You know, obviously it did, like, as usual, make me think about some things. You know, there are there are gifts tucked away in the subtext of this movie. Um, it made me it made me it made me think about airports. Like I've had uh, some airport occasions lately. I've discovered that the Las Vegas airport is my nemesis. I've been trapped in the Las Vegas airport three times this year. Three times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once on the way out from San Francisco, six-hour layover. Once on the way back from San Francisco, six-hour layover. And just last week, I was in Las Vegas 
And we were there on time for our stupid United flight and eat a dick United because they canceled our flight like 20 minutes before it was supposed to take off. And then they, there were five of us, two couples and, and a single person on this flight. They tried to reroute us all in different directions. They were going to send the single person out to San Francisco then then fly back through like Washington, D.C. and then come back to Columbus. And, uh, my wife and I just happened to just really quickly jump online and nab a flight to Chicago and then we could connect there to Columbus. But that damn Vegas airport and like how much I hate, hate being stuck in the airport for even six hours, you know, and, and uh, I found I found this quote about airports. Right. And it was written. Uh, I, I pulled this off of the spiritually uh, spirituality and practice dot com, but it's actually um, from a magazine called the global soul. Um, and it says, uh, the airport is, uh, a place that's having all the amenities of a modern metropolis, a mysterious space filled with individuals from all cultures, tingling with hopes and dreams where people have out of body experiences brought on by jet lag and where strangers reach out to each other with the camaraderie of exhausted travelers with jangled nerves. It's an environment that often strikes us as a mirror of modern ills, including bureaucracy, fast food, consumerism, and free-floating rage that frequently explodes out of impatience. And I was like, that that's it, right? Like <laughs> when you're at the airport, you feel like like you're commiserating with the other people around you, but you feel like the shit's just about to pop off at any moment because people are like enraged. Like I was flying back from Florida earlier this year, Florida Columbus on spirit airlines, direct flight. And we were sitting in this area that had four or five gates and we're sitting there and then spirit cancels Chicago and then they cancel Minneapolis and then they cancel Boston and like just one after the other, they're canceling these flights. And I went up to the desk. I was like, you're not going to cancel Columbus. Are you And They're like, just be cool. Be cool. And, and, but the people, <laughs> people were like going insane. There were people sitting on the floor in the bathroom crying. There were people like raging at the desk, you know, like couples started fighting with each other. Like, like it just in no place, but the airport, right? Like, at no place but the airport do you have this like huge array of emotional reactions all of the stuck in the same spot with people who can't go anywhere right <laughs> like maybe the <laughs> hospital but like you know it's it's craziness and then of course we were like lining up to get on our plane you know like kind of smiling like oh you poor bastards but we're getting out of here haha <laughs> you know and uh I don't know. So my question to you is the only question I got for you here at the end is, would you ever work at the airport? Uh, my only reason to say no is it's a 24-hour a job. I don't want to work a night shift. Now, if I didn't have to work a night shift, I'd clean. I mean, I'd work food service. I Like, it wouldn't bother me. I just... I think my only issue would be getting through security every day, finding parking, you know, those sorts of things. I, I wouldn't have too much against it. I mean, I think I feel like at any, at I, I any moment, a... any of those people could get attacked. <laughs> like when we were when we were trapped in Vegas, actually, uh, when but we, they've gone through security. So they at least don't have guns. When we hit Chicago, uh, it was kind of nighttime. 
and we were standing in line for McDonald's. It was the only food place open, right? And my wife is uh, gluten intolerant, and so she has very specific things she can eat and she can't eat. She usually, at McDonald's, she orders a Big Mac with no bun, right? And they usually put mm-hmm. it on a couple pieces of lettuce for her, and then she's perfectly happy. So we're standing there after this delay in Vegas, after a really bumpy flight to Chicago, and we're in line, and we're like two people away from the counter, and the girl behind the counter yells, By the way, y'all, no more burgers. All we have left is nuggets and chicken and fish. <laughs> <laughs> at McDonald's. And if my wife could have gotten her hands on that woman at that moment, I'm sure that woman would no longer have eyeballs. Right? Like, like she was pissed. Like so pissed I took a step back and got quiet. Right? Like I was <laughs> Well, that I can relate to. I wasn't to. about oh. to engage, right? And that's how I that's why I think about like working at the airport. I can see you be more the hype man, just be like, ooh, you done fucked up now. <laughs> She's gonna get That's you. What I would... She's gonna get you. <laughs> like, like I feel at any position that you're at at the airport, like you know, like working regular retail, you get attacked on the daily. You know, like people come after you about dumb stuff almost daily. My son currently works the uh, the check-in counter at a hotel, and he comes home every day with stories that, about people that just like flip out over nothing. You know, and I feel like at the airport, that's so heightened. Like, it's so much harder than working any place else. I don't know. I got a lot of love and a lot of respect for the people that work at the airport just because, like, every day they're walking into the fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're going to. And that's probably why TSA agents have, like, they're like sociopaths while they're at work. No emotion from a TSA person. Right. Hey, how are you today? Nothing. They... You're free to go. Like, they just, they've. They've got their walls 100% of the way up. Because they've seen it all and they've, you know, they've had to deal with lunatics. Like, just lunatics coming through that place, you know? And then angry lunatics who've been upset, probably rightfully so, by the stupid airlines who everyone hates. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. But, yeah. I guess it's a bad time to say this week's episode is brought to you by United Airlines. (laughs) Never again. (laughs) UnitedAirlines.com slash chronologically a discount i will never i will never do united again <laughs> done with united for good i've never actually had a bad experience at the airport i like flying and and it's probably because i don't do it that often and i don't mind a layover because it means i get to sit and read and i have no responsibilities for however long that is i don't mind a planned it's, layover i just don't like it when yeah it just dumped on me which it seems like yeah every single, i can see that every I, single time lately you just want to go home you know and yeah like, i i can i can agree with that because i i definitely haven't had that happen to me though so i don't have any nightmare airport stories or, or flying stories it's all been pretty pretty good yeah, it doesn't help that I hate flying too, so I'm already like, ah, oh, that's right, nah, yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not into it, man. Oh, I, I, I just like, you know, we the only time we really fly, we're going to Seattle, where my wife's family is, and it's five to six hour flight, and all I do is just read, and it's I don't have to do anything. There's no dishes to do. I don't, I there's nothing for me to do but just sit there. And it's one of the only times in life that that happens. See, that's nice. I sit there in a low-key, <laughs> like, panic attack, uh, contemplating my mortality, 
Like we've had totally, this discussion. Like, what they might what, as well be flying me dangling upside down. That's how my body feels. Like I just we every, had this conversation every, on the uh, every shift in the plane on Catch Me As You Can. Maybe I don't know. No, uh, uh, Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's me. I'm that guy. Just uh, internalized so that nobody can see it. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the other side. I'm like. This is the way to go if you're going to go. Okay, well, Instant. I, I'm being redundant, so I guess we should probably just wrap it up in yeah. uh, next week, War of the Worlds. Yeah, two weeks from now, we're going to watch War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, So find that wherever you stream your things. Uh, if you want to see more stuff from Eric, you can go to GamingNexus.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Hotter. He's at Eric underscore Hotter on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff and listen to my other movie podcast, The Movie Draft House, where this month is uh, movies by uh, sibling directors. Oh, really? So, Are you guys doing like the Hughes brothers? Well, Menace to Society. As of this recording, you we, want some hamburgers? We, have, we haven't uh, decided on, we haven't drafted our stuff yet oh. as of this recording. Interesting. But That's a great time. The likelihood of watching Speed Racer is high. I was going to say Wachowskis are there. What's that lunatic one by the Wachowskis with, um, oh man, I'm going to totally blank on this. Channing Tatum. Oh, and I'm probably a Fairly Brothers movie at some point. Jupiter Ascending. That's worth watching. No, I'm not. That's a that's, that's a no. lunatic movie. Have you seen it? It might be. I haven't seen it, but I I I, I kind of classify it in. I know this is probably going to be a problem for us because I'm the only one who dislikes this film. Uh, but I kind of put it in the same boat as Fifth Element, where I just don't care. No, I don't like I Fifth don't Element either because it's oh, I can kiss you. Yeah, it's stupid. You're the only. <laughs> Every time I say that, people look at me like, "What the hell's your problem? You don't like Fifth Element?" No. I'm like, "No, it's not good." No, this is better. Ooh. This is better than Fifth Element. If okay, you do, if I'll you do it. end up having to watch it, uh, you, you, you <laughs> might like it. Like it's so wackadoodle uh, yeah. that it's it's very entertaining and and just bonkers. It's it's worth a look. I think. Well, there you go. Uh, so we'll see you in two weeks for War of the Worlds. Bye, y'all.